Well, we have a little role reversal. Uh, normally, I do the announcements, and Pastor Scott gets to do the preaching. But today is my chance to uh, open God's Word with you. If you'll turn to 1 John chapter 4, my name is John Irwin. I'm the associate pastor. If you're new here, uh, we're glad that you're here. And it's something that's kind of unusual. I don't know if these ladies probably realize this, but my first time I ever preached here was in July of 2012, and you guys were here. And every time you're here, I end up being the guy who ends up preaching. We actually have a pastor who preaches like 90% of the time, but you always get stuck with me. So, hey, you don't know that because I could actually do like the same message four times, but they'd remember it. So we're so glad that you're here today. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at this idea of taking a closer look, taking a closer look. In 1 John chapter 4, we continue our study in our series on Radiant, and I'm thinking about this idea when we read the scripture together about testing the spirits. We'll look at each of these six verses in its context, but I have to ask you this question. Do we not have a culture that's obsessed with spiritualism and religion and the idea that, hey, I've got to find my way. I'm not sure if I really believe that there's a God. And we've seen this in popular culture throughout the decades just as we've watched TV. I remember the very first time I watched something that was kind of like, do, 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 1964, bewitched. This chick like wiggled her nose and weird stuff happened. And I began to realize that as a young child, is that world real or is, how do we know? That doesn't sound like God would be behind that. But then we got to the 70s and Linda Blair made our heads spin, literally, right? And The Exorcist, I never saw the movie. I was afraid to see it. I'll never see it. But that again caused the culture to buzz about spiritism and, and what's really real. Well, then we get to the 80s, and who you going to call? Who you going to call to take care of that spirit problem in your house, right? And though Bewitched was kind of amusing, and The Exorcist was frightening, and Ghostbusters was funny, we turned a corner with Dan Brown in this movie, because all of a sudden we couldn't tell the difference between fact and fiction, angels and demons. And in fact, it began to cause a conversation that says, how do we know what's really legit? This kind of sounds like it could be true, but what's happened is on TV and in our culture, we have these very persuasive communicators who sometimes masquerade as well-dressed televangelists or these powerful preachers who say, this is what God's Word says, and you go, mm, not so sure it actually says that. In fact, there's plenty of New Age gurus who kind of give us this postmodern individualistic spirituality that makes us completely ripe for confusion. And so... It's very fashionable to say, well, God told me. And maybe you've even said, well, God told me. Really? How do you know that he told you? In fact, how do we know if we're not just being completely deceived spiritually? 
That's the text we want to look at today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would enlighten our minds as we looked at your word today. May the messenger not confuse the message in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at six verses. They come in two parts. The first three is taking a look at the teacher, if you're filling in your notes. And by the way, I love when I see pens and notes and Bibles and iPhones. However you want to get God's Word in front of you, take a look at the teacher. We're going to examine the teaching. The first three verses look at the teacher. And we have a dilemma, and it says this. Why do we need to test the spirits? Why do we need to test the spirits? Well, look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So there's two reasons we got to kind of check out what we're looking at, take a closer look for two reasons according to verse 1. Number one, are they really from God? Now notice he starts with the word what? Beloved. So this isn't just a task for the elders or for the pastors. That means everybody in our congregation, beloved, hey, you're called to take a closer look. You're called to take a, a look and examine what the Scripture says about these things. And so think about the context. Remember, the New Testament canon isn't complete yet. They have the Old Testament prophets, and so oftentimes there are people who are, quote, speaking for God. And so how could they know when a particular preacher that they're hearing is from God and that his message can be trusted? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says it this way, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. And so they had to be careful not to naively just believe that because some guy says he was representing uh, Jesus Christ, that this was the case. And they used the word test. It was used of a technical term of testing a person for public office, uh, like coins being tested for uh, if they were genuine. And it literally means stop believing every spirit. Now, I want to say something that's a little controversial. Don't believe everything that I say just because I said it. Or what Pastor Scott says just because he said it. What you want to do is how does what we say from this place in this church square with Scripture? In fact, you've heard it, Acts 17, 11, right? Be like the Bereans. They examine the Scripture every day to see if what it is said is true. And so... When you hear a different theology, and those of you who've grown up in church, and maybe some of you, I heard some of you say, kind of you grew up in a Christian home, and we're going to talk about how can you hear God's word, but somehow it never gets from our head to our heart. And whether you're a high school student or a teen challenge lady, or if you've been here for 50 years, the scripture says we got to take a hard look at what is true and whether we actually believe it. And does the God's word teach it? The second reason you got to test the spirits is because false prophets are alive and well. Now, if you remember, Pastor Scott just a few weeks ago preached on this, the, the Antichrist and, and, and what the spirit of the Antichrist. And if you're noticing, John doesn't ever cover just something once. He's very circular. He comes back to the theme over and over again. In fact, we talked about love last week. Guess what? He's going to be back in love next week. Maybe we'll have part two of Greatest Hits. I'm not sure. And so John kind of reinforces this message that, hey, there are, there, there are false prophets out there. It kind of reminds me that things aren't always as they seem. Sometimes when you're hearing someone, you go, man, does that, I'm not actually sure if that's actually correct. It reminds me of this story about a guy 
who was really homeless and really needed to eat, and, and he was just desperate to find a job, and he, he went to the zoo, actually, and said, is there anything I can do? And, and the guy said, well, no, not actually. And then he looked at the size of this guy, and he suddenly got a idea. He says, well, you know, there are few creatures in this zoo that attract a crowd more than a gorilla, but ours died yesterday. Any chance you'd be willing to put on a gorilla suit and kind of imitate a gorilla for a while? And uh, we'll just kind of, you know, no one will ever know. And so the guy said, sure. And so, and, and he was good. I mean, he could beat his chest. He could sound like King Kong. And in fact, to his, uh, his amazement, visitors began to flock to that, that area watching this guy pretend that he's a gorilla. So one day he's swinging on the trapeze. He loses his grip. He swings over his side, and he falls into the lion's den. He is now, yea, thus verily, wetting his pants, right? Literally, because he's like, oh, my goodness. But he can't break his cover. He's supposed to be a gorilla. He can't say, help, right? And so he's there, and this lion comes after him, and he's backing up, and he's beating his chest, and finally he can't handle it. He's got to get help, and he screams, help! And all of a sudden, the lion charges him, gets right in his face, and says, shut up, stupid, else you'll get us both fired. (laughs) You see, sometimes it's not like it appears. It's not exactly what we're seeing. And so we got to be careful when we hear somebody, we see something, it's got to square to Scripture. Now, we know from the Old Testament, if you were a false prophet, this was a bad deal. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. Verses 1 to 5. Let's look at the scripture together. And um, this is what they said about prophets. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. Look at the next verse. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether or not You love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to what? Death, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commands you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst. God doesn't mess around with people who say this is what God says and it's not true. So there were two tests of an authentic prophet. Number one, what he had to say had to be 100% true. And we know in other passages, if it wasn't true, it was like, like, you're done. Secondly, it had to conform with the existing scriptures. It, there could be no deviation. God who is immutable, that means unchangeable, he's the eternal, he will not contradict what he has already said in scripture. And that's why, friends, in, when we hear things, and go, this doesn't add up. This isn't, like, if there's some guy preaching some, hey, there's a new novel interpretation of the text. Really? Because I'm pretty sure for 2,000 years, Then it says Jesus is God. It still means that Jesus is God, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so there's no new revelation. If there's this new revelation, it better line up with Scripture. That is why in the 1800s, 
Christians all over the country were a little suspect about a prophet who claimed to be a prophet. His name was Joseph Smith. And it divided the church then. And by the way, it, those kind of guys were dividing the church back in biblical times in, in the first five centuries uh, of, of the early church. So there's no middle ground. It's either divine or demonic. There's not like, I can play both sides of the fence. I can kind of have a little bit of Jesus. I can kind of follow biblical teaching. In fact, Ephesians 6, 12 says this, our battle is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Let's not be gullible, friends. There's a battle. There's a battle for your soul. These ladies know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when they came face-to-face with their addiction... They had to make a choice. Am I going to continue down a path that's going to lead me to destruction, right? Or am I going to yield to Jesus Christ and allow him to begin to change me from the inside out? Now, the, the interesting thing here is they've been here all different times. Some of these girls have been in that program less than a couple of months. So for some of them, they're still checking out, man, where exactly is Jesus going to fit? Some of us sit in churches, and we don't say it out loud too often, but you're quietly checking out whether Jesus really works for you. And even though there's been miracle after miracle of changed lives and testimonies, maybe some of you have grown weary of the fact that you feel like a failure that you never overcome that thing that keeps you so far from God. So what was the difficulty? Let's look at verses 2 and 3. How do we know if someone or something is really of God? There are two tests according to these next two verses, two tests. First one is test one. Do they recognize Jesus' humanity? Verse 2, you know, I say, his humanity, not his deity? Yeah, I know, that's kind of strange, right? Look at this. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You see, oftentimes we get confused that Jesus Christ is God, Jesus Christ is man. He was fully God, he was fully man, and in fact, we know that even in the demonic world, they recognize that Jesus is God. In fact, James 2.19, even the devils believe there's a God and they tremble. It doesn't mean they yield to him. They just give intellectual assent. Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, merely saying the right things about Jesus is no sign that you are saved or that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Just saying the right things. What does this confession really mean? You know, saying the right things about Jesus doesn't necessarily make you a Christian because you intellectually believe that he exists. I have a grandson. He's two and a half months old. His name's Phineas. He has now learned that there are things that get him in trouble, like when he is being rude to his mother or when we're FaceTiming him and Katie says, you want to say hi to Papa? And he says, no. (laughs) What's up with that? What did Papa? I am your sugar daddy. Come on. This is Papa. And he goes, no. And he runs away from the camera. Katie goes, I'm going to count till three, and you will say 
I love you, Papa. And I hear this little voice that goes, no. <laughs> and then I cry, saying, oh, Papa is so sad. That is so manipulative. I, I get it. <laughs> and then he comes marching back over. I love you, Papa. <laughs> he sounds like Chucky doll. I'm telling you, like... Don, that's not, that's not the kind of confession that I'm looking for. I want a heartfelt love and confession, right? You know, the funny thing is, his little brother's only six months old. He does not get it. When he, when he, it's like, hey, party! He just smiles all the time, and he can't say a thing, but he's happy. Because I'm pretty sure all he does is three things, and you know what those three things are, and I won't refer to them. And so, do they recognize that Jesus is God in his humanity? The centerpiece for their evaluation is that Jesus is God. He was human. He came as a man. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So John is saying there are some imposters out there. There's this spirit of deception, 1 Timothy 4.1, but the spirit explicitly says that in latter times we will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So it was happening back then, it happens now. In fact, Montanus, not Joe Montana, Montanus, a third century cleric, uh, claimed all these things that he was, was of God and he wasn't. So what is John referring to? that he only appeared to be human. It's an early form of Gnosticism, and I'm not going to get too deep into church history today, but I want to remind you that in the first five centuries of the early church, there were four false views of Christ's humanity and deity, and they either overemphasized the one to the exclusion of the other or had some weird mix. Now, I won't get into those, but on the website, when my notes are put up later this week, you can read that information. You know, the Council of Nicaea, we don't take much stock into church councils today, but the Council of Nicaea condemned Arianism, and the bottom line is they affirmed that Jesus was co-equal with God and the Holy Spirit, and they declared Arius was a heretic. The Council of Constantinople uh, condemned another false view of God, and they came up with the idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man. The Council of Ephesus condemned another guy, uh, Nestorius, about the nature of Christ. And then the Chalcedon in 451, it goes on and on. And these councils helped us form our theology. That's why I love Chad's song. I love their song because theology does make a difference. It shouldn't just be boring like, oh, what does that have to do with today? It has everything to do with today. Because if you have a false view of who Jesus is, then you have a false view of how people walk with God and how people come to faith in Christ and how that affects their eternal destiny. Incarnation is a big deal. The second test, not only do they have to claim that he was human, but do they claim that Jesus is God? Verse 3, do they claim Jesus is God? Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now it is, is, 
is in the world already. And I won't review Pastor Scott's message, but you can go back a few weeks. He explained this very carefully. There's the spirit of Antichrist, not the Antichrist that we're talking about in Revelation, but a spirit of Antichrist. What is that like? A spirit of apathy, a spirit of dissension, a spirit of disunity, a spirit of gossip, a spirit of dissent, a spirit that causes conflict. There's all kinds of ways that Satan can get in the mix and cause us to have all kinds of problems. So if you deny his deity, it's saying in here, you're not a Christian. Now, MTV has done some interesting research on spirituality among millennials. If you know what a millennial is, you know who you are, right? Here's what they said. Here's the conclusion of their research. They pray, but not to any particular God. They read sacred scriptures, but not limited to one religion. They're devoted to doing good to others, but they don't know if God exists, but they believe in some power outside themselves. They don't belong to an institutional religion, but they enjoy having religious conversations. The question isn't whether you are spiritual, this is my question, but what spirit are you following? See, it's very fashionable to say, I'm spiritual. And we get into these interesting conversations. Now, the the thing that I find fascinating, and I was in this conversation with Chad earlier this week, is for some people, they don't even want to be in the conversation. It's like, this is so irrelevant. Like, whatever you want to do, I don't care. Just don't bug me. Don't bother me. I... um, I've been working out a little bit, you know? I'm just trying to do something so that, you know, my chest doesn't keep sliding down farther and farther, you know? It's a tough thing, old age. I'm, I'm 59 years old, ladies. It's a sad day, you know? I've had gray hair since I was 27. But as I'm working out, I work out with a guy at Gold's Gym. He goes to our church. His name's John Lopez. He knows everybody. I mean, Everybody. And of course, he goes, hey, this is my friend John. And half the time he goes, he says, and he's my pastor. I go, oh, cover blown, cover blown. I don't mind being a pastor, but I don't want to be a weak pastor. I don't like, I see he's benching like 300 and I'm like 37 pounds, you know. (laughs) But here's what's funny. Sometimes people want to get in these conversations while the bar is hanging over my neck. It's really hard to concentrate when you're about to die. But it's a great illustration. Because there will always be things that are pressing down on you, but the most important thing isn't whether I can lift that weight. The most important thing is, do people see Jesus in me? And I got into a conversation just like what that quote from MTV talked about with a guy just a few weeks ago. I don't go to church. I don't need church. I'm very spiritual. I believe in a God. I don't believe the God in the Bible. And it's Jesus Christ. Mm-mm-mm, not sure. So you can see how easy it is for us to slide into this kind of cultural thing that says, Jesus is cool, kind of, not exactly sure. Let me just clarify something. Jesus claimed to be God. Newsflash. He claimed to be God. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a moral philosopher. He wasn't just supposed to be a political savior. He was not just a rabbi, and he wasn't just a nice guy. In fact, the money changers in the temple, remember that story? They're pretty sure that he wasn't a nice guy. Interrupted their, their little game they were playing. And so the cults of today often deny the deity of Christ. And the great deception of our day is it not that they deny the deity of Christ 
they just kind of believe these half-truths about Christ. It's like they're not saying that Jesus Christ, Jesus wasn't Christ, just a subtle departure that kind of is a half-truth about Christ. Or he's just not actually the Lord. C.S. Lewis was famous for his quote that Jesus was either what? Three L's. He was either the what? Lord. He was what? A liar. Or he was a lunatic. And in a culture 50 years ago, that was a relevant argument. Today, I find some people saying, I don't care about those things. But you should care. He said this, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is C.S. Lewis talking. That is the one thing we must not say. By the way, you know he was an atheist at one point, and that's why his, his work is so seminal for those of you who are searching from God. By the way, if you are an agnostic or atheist in this crowd today, I'm not making fun of that. Do you understand that? I want you to be very clear that this is a very safe place for you to explore the truth claims of Jesus Christ, okay? So we're not here trying to be super arrogant, like, hey, my way or the highway, like, get with the program or get out. Nah, no, no, no. I think both Pastor Scott and I want to be the kind of pastors who have this winsome approach that says, hey, I've got legitimate questions. I'm not sure I got it all figured out. Let me give you a little secret. Have it figured out. But here's what we do have. We have a big God, and he's got it figured out. He's got, a, he's got it figured out. And so... Uh, uh, Lewis goes on to say, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can't shut him for a fool. You can spit on him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Wow. So I wanted to, to just take, and we're not gonna go them all, but on the back of your notes, I wanna give you some examples. This is what world religions are saying about who Jesus is. And I gave you an example of Baha'i, for instance. Baha'i, Jesus is one of many religious teachers. Buddhism, Jesus was a wise and enlightened man, but not divine. Islam, Jesus is not God incarnate, and he did not die on the cross for our sins. Some believe, by the way, that Judas Iscariot was his substitute who died on the cross. His message was superseded by Muhammad. Jehovah's Witnesses, you ever had someone knock on your door? They usually come in pairs. They have a nice little Bible. They have the watchtower handout. And so I've, I've had many conversations. The bottom line is they don't believe, uh, they do believe that Jesus Christ was a perfect man. They believe he's a person distinct from God, however. And they teach that before his earthly life, Jesus was a spirit creature. According to John 1, 1, here's one of the biggest issues with Jehovah's Witnesses. They say, in our translation, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jehovah's Witness, rewind. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was a 
God. That little preposition makes a huge difference in the Greek. He's not just a God. He is the living God. Mormonism, Jesus is a man who became a God to show us how we can become God's little g. New Age, Jesus is an example of what human beings can achieve if they achieve their full potential. Unification Church, Jesus is an authentic but failed prophet, but his work is in the process of being completed by Sun Young Moon. That's just a sampling of what our culture and world religions say about who Jesus is. So it really comes down to this. Who do you say Jesus is? Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what this says. But I'll tell you what does matter is what God's Word says. And God's Word says that He is worthy of your worship. That He is the living God. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The changer of destinies. The lover of your soul. The Alpha and the Omega. Now look at me for a second. For some of you, you have this tape running in the back of your head, and here's what's going on. Blah, 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 You say, what? Yeah. You said, I've heard that. I know that's the problem. We've heard it, but have we yielded our life to it? Every parent in this room, has one dying prayer in their life for their kids, that when it's all said and done, that their kids would kneel before the throne of God's grace and give their life to Jesus Christ. Ladies, I'll talk to you in a bit. Ladies, I can guarantee you, you have some parents who go to bed at night crying and they beat themselves up about their woulda, shoulda, couldas about what they wish they would have done, which they would have said. And here's the crazy thing. They said it, didn't they? Those of you who grew up in Christian homes, they did say those things and somehow it went over our head. And it took you hitting rock bottom before you looked up and said, I give. Jesus, I yield. I haven't lived an idyllic life, let me tell you. I am not perfect. If you want any verification of that, ask my kids or my wife. They will verify the fact, and neither are you. But here's what I do have that no one can take away from me. That on January 8th, 1963, As a six-year-old, yes, count it, six, 53 years ago, I kneeled down literally in a first-grade classroom, and I said, Jesus, I want you to love me, and I accept you as my Savior. Now, you've heard me tell this story before. I am pretty sure because that teacher talked about hell, I decided I didn't really want to go there. The second fact was she kind of was mean, and I thought there might be a slight chance she would be there. I don't want to be with her. No. I know that wasn't very nice to say. But she did the coolest thing on that IBM Selectric typewriter, and she tapped I, John Lee Irwin. 
accepted Jesus as my Savior. Now I know that I love him and he loves me. And for the last 53 years, I try to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I give my life anew to you. I don't accept him over into my heart again, but I yield my life to him. And so that's the Jesus that I'm talking about, the Jesus that changes lives. And so we finish our section with part two, a look at the hearers. He went from the teachers to a look at the hearers, and you got to examine the audience. Look at verses four. Look at verse four. This deliverance. What are your options, friends? Well, according to verse four, little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I like that translation. Don't be alarmed. True believers aren't going to be fooled. Satan may win some battles, but you're going to win the war. We know how the story ends, right? And so you don't have to be smarter. You have to be more yielded. God's going to use his Holy Spirit to put a check in your spirit. You know what I love? And I won't name you, but you're in this audience. Sometimes you'll call me after I preach and say, hey, I got a question about this. I'm going, oh, no, did I get it wrong? Did I quote that right? I love the fact that we got people in this church who are committed to God's word, and when I say something that sounds a little wacky, wacky, they go, hey, is that what you meant to say? Uh, was it? Should I? And I kind of wait. No, I don't. I just have to know that sometimes I don't always get it right. Now, that doesn't inspire much confidence. I realize that. But here's what I am. I'm a learner. I want to grow. I want to make a difference. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to say, hey, I got it. You guys just, I got this. Right? And by the way, when you act like that, that's how you, we respond to God sometimes. Remember, God says, hey, I've got a challenge for, for you. And it's a big challenge, but here's how we approach it. Hey, yeah, yeah, I got this. I got this. We kind of say to God, I got this. You know what? I've come to the conclusion, I don't got this. I can't get this. I can't control timelines for Coco coming to faith in Christ. I can't fix things. I'm not a fixer. What I am is a guy who desperately wants Jesus to be real, and I want to be authentic in that. When I hit a bad shot, I don't want to be placid and go, thank you, Jesus, for letting me hit that ball in the water, because it reminds me of the time that you walked on water, and I'm wishing my ball would have walked on the water. There's a guy named John Acuff who talks about Jesus jukes, and it's a funny little story he does about that. What I want is that when we experience a death in our family like we did in recent weeks, that I sit here for an hour and a half and hear people talk about Nancy Melanie in a way that was so inspiring that I wish I would have taken the time to get to know her. Because a little bit of Jesus would have rubbed off on me in a way that I would have been more in love with him because I saw it in her. That's what I want. And so the deliverance of your options is that he's greater than that thing that's causing you to doubt him. And so the test 
The first test was the doctrine of incarnation. The second test is the regeneration of your own life. Greater is he than he who is in the world. Now, some people say that this is that verse that you kind of go to if you're ever involved in an exorcism. Now, some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh, it's about to get weird. I have been involved in one and only one exorcism. I don't recommend it. I didn't want to be in it. I didn't ask for it. But I had a college pastor who had this wacky girl that showed up in our office. He said, John, I need some help. It would not have been cool for me to say, hey, I'm kind of busy. I'm studying God's Word. I said, okay. We began to talk to this girl, and it freaked me out because everything that I had heard about someone who was demonically possessed By the way, she was not a Christian. I do not believe that Christians can be possessed. I do believe Christians can be oppressed. And I won't go into the whole deal, but she could not confess that Jesus was Lord. And when when our our college pastor said, is Jesus Christ Lord, I heard a voice like this out of a girl that talked like this. I'm not making this stuff up. There is a spiritual realm. And if we walk around being afraid of what demon is going to harass us, that's not the Jesus that I serve. He's victorious. She had a Bible even. She couldn't read anything that had Jesus' name in the Bible. Eight or nine hours we spent with this girl. And in the end... I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I do know that she was delivered. But here's the sad story. I don't have this great little story that I can say, and then she came to church. She became a missionary in the 1040 window. She became Billy Graham's personal assistant and evangelist. None of that. I never saw her again. I never saw her again. But I do know this. Greater is he that is in you than he who's in the world. Then the division, bottom line. This is the division. Look at this and we'll wrap up. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and spirit of error. You got to be able to distinguish, friends. Is this a spirit of truth? Spirit of error. But I do kind of, I don't know, if Scott, if you ever, when you look at this, it's kind of interesting. He says, whoever knows God listens to us. I go, wow, that takes some guts. He says essentially, hey, listen to me. If you don't listen to me, I'm not that bold. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You listen to God. You listen to see that the Scripture is in alignment with His Word. The ultimate trump card Paul pull, or John pulls, though, in this argument Listen to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By the way, Paul did the same thing. He said, follow me as I follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. And so the great assumption behind verse 2 and here in verse 6 is that when the gospel is presented with openness and confessing Christ with loyalty, there's this work of the Holy Spirit. And as you hear that, it goes, yeah, that, that, that rings true. That makes sense. So do you say you're a Christian today? Do you say you're a Christian, but this, I don't mean it to be harsh. You say you're a Christian, but you're acting like a pagan today? And I use that word very carefully. 
No wonder Christians are confused, or non-Christians are confused, because they don't see, like, what are you doing? You say you're a Christian, but you're a total jerk. I don't even want to be your friend. I was talking to someone who's new to our church, less than a month. She's involved in the in the movie industry. She was the Cannes Film, Cannes Film Festival, and I'm not going to mention the name of who this actor is, but he claims to be a Christian. And she said, I'm a little confused because in my faith, I can't understand how someone can say they're a Christian, and this guy's married, and he's hitting on my best friend. And so, I'm a little confused too, but here's what I'm not confused about. I'm not confused by the fact that Jesus is my Savior, but there are times that I act in ways that are not Christ-like. So I want to tell you, as one of your pastors, I confess before you that if there are times that I have been less than Christ-like, if I have not demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit, I can't earn my way to heaven, but I can tell you this, I want Jesus to transform the yucky stuff of my life so that maybe the next time I get a chance to shine like Jesus. I'll close with this. I told you once, I'm telling you again, you've got to buy this book. Let's say it again. It's called Love Does. It's by Bob Goff. Teaches at Pepperdine a little bit. I want you to get it. I want you to read chapter 29 first called Memorizing Jesus. He said this, I, pay, I get paid, and Chad, come on up while I'm doing this, and we'll wrap up. I get paid as a lawyer to collect information and memorize facts that I've gotten really good at. When I realize about my faith is that I'm doing just that. I collect information, and I'm memorizing things about God. And I woke up one day, and at some point I had to confess that I knew a lot about God, but it was like I was stalking Jesus. I was actually creeping myself out a little and realized I was probably creeping God out too, so I decided to stop. He goes on to say, but most of the things we studied, and he talked about Bible studies, were true, but honestly, it just made me feel like a stalker, like a creepy guy memorizing facts and information about somebody I barely knew. And then he says, I go to Bible studies, I don't remember anything that they said, but the big scheme of things is it didn't really seem that important. He goes, we go to Bible studies, and he decided to change his Bible study to Bible doing. I go to my Bible doing. He says, God has a way of helping me focus our attention on what we're about to do for Jesus. Just agreeing with him isn't enough. He says, I don't remember a single time when Jesus asked his friends just to agree with him. Go do something. And so today, as we wrap up, as you test the spirits, if you claim to be a Christ follower, go do something. Don't be a Jesus stalker, memorizing more stuff about Jesus. Let it get from your head to your heart. Make it be that time where you took the extra moment for the person that you didn't give the time of day to that you see out on the corner begging for money. Maybe actually stop sometime and talk to the guy. Actually talk to the guy. Maybe doing for you is not beating yourself up about what your kids aren't doing and letting go of that thing. Maybe doing for you 
is realizing you are so stinking busy that if God knocked on your head and said, McFly, you wouldn't even recognize him because you don't have the time to take a breath because you're so busy making so much money that you can't spend or use because you're always busy working to make more of it. Or maybe for you, doing is having a cup of coffee with the one person in your life that you say you love the most. But you don't remember the last time you actually prayed for her or for him. Because you're too busy solving stuff and going there and arranging carpools. Or maybe for you today is getting alone long enough for God to get through the chatter of your busy existence and just talk to Him about what's weighing you down. You see, I don't like to do that. You know why? Because it means that I got to tell someone, I got a group of guys I meet with that I'm imperfect. That I screwed up this week. That I've been less than honest. That I'm not who I say I am. And I don't want to be that guy. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? It's a very simple challenge today. Is Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord? If he is, then you leave here guilt-free, filled with grace, and wonder about what he's doing and will continue to do in your life. But if by chance you sit here today and you've had intellectual facts, you've been a Jesus stalker, but he hasn't actually transformed your life, then today is the day. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I need you. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know that I need you. And I ask you to come into my life and begin to transform me from the inside out. Help me to know what I need to know, to put behind what I need to put behind. But most of all, help me trust you as I give my life to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you've gone from death to life from a poser and a wannabe to a Jesus Christ follower. Amen? It's nothing more difficult than that. Should you come forward? That's up to you. Should you raise your hand? That's up to you. But here's what I do know. Tell someone today, I made a decision to yield my life to Christ. I'll be up here to talk to you and pray with you about anything. Scott will be as well. Let's sing as we continue our worship. Folks, we got some ladies jumping up here for prayer. I need some women to come and join me up here with them as I'm speaking. This is the day to do business with God. We're waving our white flag. We're saying, Jesus is Lord. We need him. We can't do this in our own flesh, can we? We need him. So if some of you ladies would join me up over here and let's just continue to pray. God bless you.